Hello everyone, I'm Dennis and this is She Valley, a show about Sheffield startups, a podcast dedicated to Sheffield's ecosystem, its brilliant founders, investors and different stakeholders. I wanted to address a few things before today's episode with all of you, and I'll start with the schedule of the podcast. As you've seen, I don't have a strict uploading routine. I've had weeks where I upload twice, followed by weeks when I don't upload at all. That is due to the format of the podcast I invite people to talk with, and it's never easy to find suitable time for both of us. I understand that this could be harmful to the podcast, as listeners don't know what to expect don't know when to expect episodes, so I've been thinking about it and decided that I will be announcing the dates of every next episode in the end of a current one, and this way you would always know when to expect another show. Second, I'd like to address where She Valley currently is as a podcast. It's been nearly four months now and I'm very happy with its development. I initiated contacts with some very important incubators and organizations in Sheffield, had great and diverse guests and even received my first sponsorship by Sheffield Technology Parks. I'm still very passionate to support Sheffield's startup ecosystem and I have a lot of hunger to keep growing Sheaf Valley. So another call to you as a listener. If you enjoy the show, show it to a friend, peer, colleague, partner or whomever that you think might enjoy it as well. I am not astute with social media marketing and organic growth. An audience that enjoys these talks is something that I'm looking at much more than just hyperinflated numbers of listeners from advertisement. And third, about today's episode, as you've seen the title, It is part of a rubric called Around the UK. In this rubric, I will have entrepreneurs from cities around the UK, not Sheffield, to be the guests. While Shea Valley is dedicated on increasing Sheffield's ecosystem visibility, I thought that it would be great to diversify and invite founders from other parts of the UK, hear what they have to say for their startups and ecosystems. When I say the rest of UK, I exclude London because their space is already overly populated. And for me, it's way more interesting to learn about ecosystems such as the one in Hull, where my guest Lucy Blackley is from. Lucy founded Bombix PAOM in 2017 and was shortlisted amongst the rising stars for Yorkshire and the Humber in Tech Nations report for 2020. She is very passionate about fashion and a journey through the industry brought her to a point where she felt Bombix PAOM was needed. The episode starts now, I hope that you enjoy it. I'm here today with Lucy Blackley from Bombix PAOM. Hi Lucy, how are you? Hi, I'm, I'm really good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing very well, thanks. How was today? You just told me that it's been relaxed, but what, what did you do more in particular? So we're actually, so we're focusing on our social media going back out. And uh, so during the lockdown, we had a bit of a quiet phase because we were concentrating on other tasks and also looking at our future developments on what our system will look like in the coming months. Nice. Okay, so we will get... Uh, We'll talk more about Bombix soon, but I first want to start uh, just with you telling us a little bit more about uh, you, your career, and uh, your professional life up to Bombix POM. Okay, yeah. So I started actually in the fashion industry, so quite far away from tech. And I know that fashion, it seems like it's quite a technologically advanced uh, industry. It seems very modern. However, the majority of it in the supply chain and in the factories, not every factory has access to super high tech, you know, 
anything. So I actually started as a clothing engineer, known as a garment technologist within the fashion industry. So my job was to make sure that the the garments were fit for the consumer, testing was approved, the fit was perfect. So you'd actually you'd tailor the garment to perfection as to how you, your buyer and your designer would want it to look. And yeah, so I, I started out within a factory in Birmingham in the UK. And then I moved on to London. And then from London, I moved over to Berlin, Germany to head up product development for the menswear collections of uh, a private label. So your background is, is in engineering, right? Yeah, clothing engineering, yes. Right. Why, why clothing? Are you just passionate about fashion or was it just an industry you were looking to get into? So, I mean, I think growing up, I, so I, as a teenager, I was very much into the goth subculture. So I loved music. I loved clothes. I loved the dressing up. I loved the sewing of the, of the garments, just making things. And as a teenager, I was in a, a gothic rock band, a punk band, I guess, really what it was. And I realized that I just wasn't very good at it. And I needed something to make money with, uh, to make a living. So I just, I basically thought, okay, if I'm not good at that, what could I be good at? And I was already sewing and already making things. I really enjoyed it. I sold some things on eBay that I'd made. It just seemed like the natural progression for me. It's something that I loved and it's something that I then moved forward with. Yeah, and you're actually fortunate because when you have that moment of revelation, it's, I think it probably comes in the life of everyone between well, maybe 17 to 25, unless you're some kind of a prodigy. And since you were 13, you know what you do you like kind of realize that you need to find something that's going to be sustainable in terms of paying the bills and making your life better. But not a lot of people have the chance to do what they like. So I guess you were fortunate in that regard, which is always, which is always nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm very fortunate. There's people that I know that are 50 plus that still don't know what they want to do with their lives. I, I am fortunate, but equally, I started my venture into fashion from the fashion design side. So I started studying fashion design. I wasn't very good at it. My my designs weren't very commercial. They were more very they were unwearable. They were more like art pieces. They had concept. And they would be, yeah, they were just very more, much more arty than actually wearable. So I think I would have been a failed fashion designer because you need, you need money or backing to, you know, to, to go at that where it is much more arty and much more sculptural. And I found my love for garment technology through pattern making. So creating the sewing patterns, working with the measurements, testing the products, working with the technologies to make the 2D pattern into free, a three-dimensional product. So I fell into it through my own failures within learning about fashion. Yeah, resilience, I guess, was the key in you finding in the end uh, what you were good at and also something that you liked. I think, well, you know, it's, it's funny, like, because I don't ever see myself as, I think for me, like, I want to, I've kind of committed to something and I thought, you know, I, I want to do that. I've committed to it, but because I'm not very good at that aspect, I've, I've gone into something else. I didn't think, oh, I'll start something new, but I think that's something probably a little bit more about my personality than anything. Like some people would have taken that risk and gone for something completely new, but I thought, you know what, I'll try out a different area of the industry and see how that suits me. If it works, great. If it doesn't, let's find something else. And I think for me, it's discovering what else is around me that's immediately available to me before thinking, actually, I'll jump ship and move into something completely new 
Yeah, yeah, I think that actually makes sense. And it, I think it's a good advice because throughout my university years, I thought about like moving from one industry to another, to another, and just constantly moving, constantly thinking about different occupations. And I think this, this would make a lot of people's lives easier in terms of when you're unsure about how good you are at something in the in a specific industry, don't immediately think about jumping to a different one, but rather think about like is your role in this current industry the, the right one for you, or maybe there might be a better fit. Yeah, you know, I think as well, like, because I didn't know what garment technology was at the time. And I, I kind of fell into, I knew what I wanted to do. And it was, I got a bit fed up with kind of not really going with the course. And it actually got to my third year so my final year when I found out that I wasn't really going to go anywhere with. And it was through my own stubbornness that actually led me there because it got to graduate fashion week and you had to, you would be going to be chosen for graduate fashion week to go to London and showcase your collection. And the lecturers were kind of, you know, changing things, changing the way something was through color, through fit, through hemlines. And I didn't like it that I was paying so much money to not do something that was authentic to me. So I thought, why am I paying all this money to not design a collection that I see fit and how I want to create something? So they said, well, if you don't change it, then you're not going to go to graduate fashion week. So I said, okay, actually, then I won't go. And actually I'll leave the course and I'll go on and find something. And they said, what are you going to do? And I, I said, I'm going to be a garment technologist and I'm going to find a course that suits garment technology. And actually, I had no idea what a garment technologist was at that point. And I then went after that and researched it afterwards. And it just felt right. I knew that it was, you know, technologically driven. It was kind of corrections. It was testing. It was all the techie side, all the science and the maths that I loved about it. And that's kind of how I fell into it. So it was, it was through being stubborn and trying out different, knowing that I was going to try out a different area. But whether garment technology was going to be something that I actually loved, I had no idea about. But I would have worked that out if I didn't. Yeah, I think at the time, like, we never know if something is actually going to work out. That's that's why that's why I guess the best thing is the best decision is to do something that you like because even if it doesn't work out, at least it was a time well spent. Yeah, and you know it's creative. I do enjoy clothes. I enjoy fashion. You know, it was it's a great industry and it's got a fantastic supply chain and it's got some incredible people and also some not so incredible people like any industry. But yeah, I just, I fell in love with it and I've met many great people and many connections and it, it led me to what I'm doing today. So it really paid off for me. This is actually a nice way to jump into the next question. You're the founder of Bombix. As far as I could stalk you on LinkedIn, you started it in, back in 2017. Yes. So, if you uh, so oh, sorry, go on. No, it's okay. So all I was going to say was it actually started in 2016. But it wasn't until 2017 that I registered the business. Yeah, I, I guess usually that's that, that's the way. No one no one actually thinks of a business and then registers it the next day. There's always like that phase of thinking and just kind of working with things, seeing whether it's actually worth it to register it. So my first question is actually exactly about the start. Basically, from the moment you came up with the idea, uh, why did you decide to create Bombix? What was the what was the problem that you were looking to solve? And to just tell us about those first few months of existence. 
Yes. So basically, I so I've been working in the industry over ten years at that point, and I I was I just kind of there just was a lot that wasn't right with the industry like any industry there's a mass amount of room for improvement but I I was working from sometimes I'd start work at 7am and I wouldn't be finishing till 1 or 2am the next morning I had a mass amount of work to do and I just felt like the systems were failing me that were in place so we were using a very outdated PLM system that was breaking and then we'd have to go on to Excel and then once it was up and running again we'd have to export that information to Excel again and it was just clogging up so much of my time but also there was a lack of real transparency from my side I couldn't see what was going on and during my career um, I've seen all sorts of horror stories in terms of ethical aspects or lack of ethical aspects I should say and I wanted to create something where the people on the company side, they seemed very numb to these. They seemed very tired and very numb. They just wanted to get their job done. They just wanted to get their targets met. And any kind of horror story that they would see, they wouldn't really be shocked by it or that bothered by it. And I thought that's a massive problem for you not to be shocked by, you know, things that were going on, things that were unsanitary or unethical, or there was some form of bullying going on, or you were you know, bringing the price down so cheap that you didn't even wonder who was paying that cost. So I wanted to kind of start and create a system that actually worked for people to free up their time in administration so they can concentrate on innovation, sustainability, ethical practices. That was my that was my vision in the initial stages. It still is today. But as you know, with any kind of technology, it takes time to develop and you've got to start with something and you've got to add in these things later on. But we've, you know, we're sticking to our guns. We care massively about sustainability, massively about ethics. But most of all, it's giving people the tools to be able to do their actual primary job. Because as many people know, you when you get brought into these jobs, half the time you're not doing the actual job that you, you know, that you signed up for. So on the website, when, when you open the web, Bombix's website, it says Bombix simplifies the complexities of your business. How exactly? Yes. So, so Bombix PLM, so PLM stands for Product Lifecycle Management. And what it does is you take, so it's for, it's for manufacturing businesses that are creating a product either with a supply chain or, you know, they're actually got their own factories. It doesn't matter. And what it does is you put in there your designs, your bill of materials, your testings, any product information that's compliance that needs approving. You connect your supply chain in there and it reduces your administrative tasks by up to 50%. It makes you more efficient. It makes everyone's working on one single source of truth. And you're communicating through this platform that brings data together for you to be able to make less errors in production and get your product to market on time. So you're working exclusively with the fashion industry? No. So originally, obviously, I started in the fashion industry. So that's where I got a lot of my thoughts from for it but we've you know you can you can be anything that's any company that's creating a physical product so it could be food and beverages it could 
be cosmetics, perfumes, furniture. It could be, you know, it could even be aerospace and stuff. But what we do is we focus on things such as furniture, as textiles, apparel, you know, food and drink is possible. We don't really go into the deep, the aerospace, the cars, although in the years to come, we could be going that way. But right now we're focusing on the immediate things where something doesn't take as long to manufacture as say a car, something that can be manufactured quite quickly and be brought to market quite quickly. Yeah. And when you say product lifecycle management, I haven't really uh, met that term before I found about Bombix PLM. If you could just describe it in a couple of sentences for for me and people like me, that's... So a good way to put it would actually be with with PLM. So Bombix itself, uh, Bombix is a silkworm and the product lifecycle businesses, anything I guess has a lifecycle and they're very similar to the evolution of the silkworm turning into the moth. So you've got the egg, you've got the worm, you've got the cocoon. The cocoon I see as the profit part because it's creating something that's highly valuable, which is the silk which you can then, you know, and then you're, you're coming from that and then you can reinvest into your business or reinvest back into your brand. So it's the life cycle of a product. So taking it from concept and evolving it through its development through to production. Right. Okay. So that's, that explains the, the logo. Yes. Yes. That is exactly the logo. I've had the name for since 2012. Bombix was originally going to be a sewing, a home sewing pattern archive for home sewers where they could upload their own patterns. They could share, they could buy off each other, they could trade. And then it took from 2012 to 2016 to develop into an industry platform. So it's had, you know, it's got quite a, a story behind it, I guess. And when you say that you deeply care about sustainability and ethics, helping helping businesses to tackle those issues first, what do you think are the, the biggest issues currently with, with businesses and industries that you're working with that could be that could be faced and challenged this year? There's things that needs a longer period of time, but what are the things that could be immediately challenged? Yes. So my my view on sustainability is that everybody now, you know, sustainability has become a trend within itself. You know, it is a trend. People are, are I think with, with COVID, people had time to slow down, understand where their product was coming from, how it was made, and became very aware of their consumption and the materials that were used to create it or the packaging that came with it. But many brands want to be sustainable, but many brands suffer the being, they're so busy and they're so fast paced that they are actually not organized brands. So they don't have everything in a platform. So they will use Excel sheets. They will treat email as a reporting tool and they don't have their, all their ducks in a row. They don't have the organization to, to really amplify their sustainability goals. So for me, sustainability starts with being organized which is why initially I thought of creating Bombix PLM to get people on the right tracks to not only being sustainable but focusing and caring for their people by providing them with a platform and then off that creating profit through having things that go to market on time and such as that. Yeah and when you say that we've had time to reflect more on sustainability I actually agree with you and for me sustainability in the last year, I've seen a huge, huge increase of companies focusing on that, talking about large, large enterprises as well. And that just proves that everything is market driven. 
you know, more consumers yes. care about sustainability, so companies will will reflect on that. Do you think that's actually the case, or do you think that companies, by in themselves, should should identify that as a problem, or is it going to come from the consumer? So I always say that you know, years ago, we as so brands that were selling something, so they'd have to buy in a product. They were dictating to consumers what they were going to buy, what they were going to wear, what the trends were going to be. Whereas since the height of social media, it's been the other way around where consumers have told buyers what they're going to buy and bring out and release so that they can purchase it. And I feel like this is the case. It is very consumer driven. I feel that there were a lot of brands that were looking towards it because within any company, you're going to have those people that really care about such things. And, you know, it would have already been on their minds, but maybe it wasn't a priority to do at that time. And I feel like people just wanted, you know, they were going to go with whatever the next big trend was. And luckily for us, consumers have now been drawn to sustainability because it's been going on for years and it's just it has never been a priority for people which is absolutely shocking because sustainability doesn't just mean whether your fabric's eco-friendly you've got that it needs to be re regenerative by design but it's not just about the product itself I feel sustainability is about people the planet profit you need to keep regenerating to keep people in jobs you need to you know reuse materials remake it's about everyone and i feel it should go in that order people planet profit because the people if they're looked after they'll look after the planet and together you know we're able to make we're able to make profit out of doing really great things and creating really innovative ways to you know get getting product uh, products to to consumers and just making sure that they are, you know, if they are going to go into landfill, well, hopefully not, but they can biodegrade. If they can't biodegrade, can they be recycled and recreated into something? It's just making everything work in a very circular motion. This is what the circular economy is about. Yeah. You have a stake in education with Bombix, again, by, by visiting your website. What exactly is your involvement and what is the idea behind it? I... I find that, so I wrote an article actually that's on the website originally for which PLM and they, so it was about the lack of, the, the lack of information around what's actually going on in an industry for the courses that are studying specific industries. So there was nothing about PLM within the curriculum for fashion, not for many anyway. And it was basically what, fashion students are getting taught is to drape on the stand which means put a bit of fabric on a mannequin and pin it to it and make the pattern but you're only going to be doing that if you plan to be a French couturier you're not going to be doing that in the in the industry that is everywhere else you know unless you're working for really high fashion luxury and for me it was we weren't preparing students for the reality of their industries so we started to offer our systems to universities, which several have picked up now. And so we, tra we train students in product lifecycle management for the fashion industry to give them a real life taste of the systems that they could be using in the future upon graduation. Understood. And have students reacted to that? Have you had contacts, contacts from them about it? Yes. So we... 
Right now, we're working with York St. John University. We've worked with Leeds before. We're working with several universities, but we actually, we, it's not that the lecturers teach the students PLM. We actually teach the students PLM. So actually, the, the, the students have, you know, they, they're greeted by us. We, we teach them. And, you know, next, I think during the Easter holidays, we're going to book some 15-minute one-on-one sessions to go over what they've been doing. And the great thing about this is that lecturers are now starting to make it an, a mandatory part of the curriculum. So they're seeing that it's really serious and actually it needs to be taught so that they are well prepared for the job that's going to be, you know, what they're going to be in, in the next few years. Yeah. Smart way to get some good talent as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, you know, it's also a great thing if somebody loves your system or they get really into that organizational aspect of developing product and understanding what PLM can actually do. It's also a great promotion because they can go on into the future of their industry and say, why are you not using a PLM system? Hopefully they'll say, why are you not using Bombix PLM? But what our main goal is here, it's not to market ourselves, but it's to give them a really good education and a realistic point of view of the industry they're about to enter. Because like I said, I, I'm not going to say that I wasted three years, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, if I can change that for someone and give them an idea of what they want to do a little bit sooner, then that's great. If not, then it's a learning curve for them. I completely agree with you. And talking about COVID, Obviously, it influenced everybody and everything. What was the influence on Bombix PLM? Well, actually, the fashion industry closed down temporarily, didn't it? There was a big panic about supply chains and who's going to get paid because no one can open. And it was, you know, I think for, for me, what was the, how did it influence our business? We had like, you know, we had, we did have an, an influx of people inquiring into PLM because they wanted to go digital. So I think it made people go digital, but the influence for our business, I think we've come to realize that we may need to look at investment and, you know, scale just to move quicker because we've got so much to do. We've got so many milestones and we've created a future plan that's so big that we know that we need to scale up. So for me, it was about kind of moving quicker and taking opportunities to be able to go with that. Initially, when I first started business, I was I didn't really understand anything about investment. In my, I think coming from like a working class family and working really hard, you, it's like I thought that, they were taking something off me, but they're not taking something off you. You're bringing in people, you're bringing in experts. If, if that's the way, if you're not just going at it for money, but you actually want to bring people in that know as much about you, but hopefully more than you to, to be able to scale the business in a positive way. So for me, I think I just realized that nothing is guaranteed and you just need to go for it. You know, anybody that thought that they had a secure job and maybe people that want to be entrepreneurs and want to do their own businesses. Hopefully those people that do want to do that, they saw that actually people can lose those permanent employments and there's never a good time and you can just go for it and do it. Yes. And talking about that, it's, well, I want to ask you about your entrepreneurial journey. So you said that you've been working in the industry for 10 years before you started Bombix. Is Bombix the first business you started? 
yes, it was the first business that I started. I'm not really a risk taker. It just, everything happened very naturally. And uh, yeah, it was, I can't really explain why. I, I mean, I know why I felt the need to do it. I was exhausted. I saw people around me exhausted. And I saw a lot that could be improved by using technology. But I also did a startup with a friend with a clothing label, but this has been my focus. So I'm not part of that anymore because Bombix is literally a full-time job. Well, more than a full-time job. It consumes so many hours. There's so much to do all the time, but it was my first business. It was the first thing where I was like, actually, I'm just going to give it a go because it started actually where I had some money in the bank, I had some savings, and I was going to buy a house. But I really started to lose passion with my own role. I'd been doing it for so long, I wasn't learning anything new. And I thought I can buy a house and go to a job that I dislike every day, and I've lost passion for. Or I can just say, let's just give it a go, put this money into something that could actually have legs and go somewhere. And lucky for me, I made the right choice and it's it's paid off. We're a growing team and we're doing something with purpose and with meaning and something that we all love. And how did you know to go for Bombix Pill? I mean, it's current, you know, in, in, in its current occupation and what you're doing and what the Bombix that you said you've been thinking about in 2012 with uh, the garment... What was it exactly? Uh, so a, pa- a sewing pattern directory where a marketplace really, it didn't really, it was literally a an initial idea. I thought about it for a long time. I wanted to get it off the ground, but certain circumstances don't, there's just things that go on in your life where you you just, I don't know, you, you either see something as really important or you don't. So for me, I clearly didn't see that at the time as being the most important thing in my life. But for this, it really fell naturally with, you know, just thinking, okay, I'll go for it. I've got these savings. I'm lucky enough to have that. And I didn't have a lot of savings. Like the system has cost so much money to build. Like it's just, it's an ongoing thing. It's it's forever, you know, requiring upgrades and development and all of this. But I just thought it'll work out. And if it doesn't work out, then I've learned a new skill and I can potentially move into another industry if it's not going to work and yeah I guess I guess it's the time that I still don't think I'm a risk taker but people consider this taking a risk and you know I just there was just something in my gut that told me that this was the right thing to do and this was going to work I I don't really have any kind of guidance on that it's just I think sometimes it's just trusting your gut and going with it because what's the worst that can happen yeah that's true that I think this is what in a nutshell, that's what being confident is, you know, not not having to think about like 10, 15 different reasons to do something, but kind of feeling inside of you that this is the right, this is the right way to go with something, even though it doesn't seem the most logical or even if it seems risky, even to other people or to you. Yeah, I mean, even now, I still have those days where you're like, what on earth have you done? What are you, you know, well, what are you doing with your life? I know what I'm doing with my life, but don't get me wrong. I don't have a confident, I mean, it may come across that way from what I'm saying, but I have the same issues that every other human on this planet has. Like I suffer like everyone else from, you know, bouts of imposter syndrome. And I, it's not, I don't know if confidence is the right word. I mean, I'm quite a confident person, but I think the, the key, the key thing is, is to 
it's to not know everything, but just being curious enough to try it. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Well, I learned about Bombix from, from Tech Nation's Rising Stars Initiative. I was researching the Yorkshire, Yorkshire and the Humber region. And that's how I found your name and that's how I contacted you. And this is where my question comes about the ecosystem that you're part of, host, host ecosystem. So if you could just tell us a little bit more about host ecosystem and what are its strengths, what are its weaknesses, what do you like about it and maybe what you dislike about it? Okay, so I, I'll tell you a little bit about how I started here, actually. And so I had just moved from Berlin. I'd come, so Hull is my home city. I was born here. And I didn't have a good, I didn't, I didn't really think much of Hull at the time. You know, it's my home city, left as a teenager, didn't want to be there, saw all the bright lights of big cities. And then I had to come back as a kind of stopgap between what I was, where I was going to launch Bombix and from Berlin, uh, between Berlin and where I was going to launch Bombix. So I thought I'll stop here maximum for a year or two and then I'll kind of move into probably another big city potentially London or somewhere I wasn't really sure and I was working at my kitchen table constantly you know looking against I had my kitchen table face towards a wall and it was driving me insane I didn't see anyone every day it was just me and my dog at the time and I just got a little bit stir crazy with it and was like I need to see people. I need to feel inspired. So I called up our tech incubator in Hull, which is called C4DI. And the, the person that picked up the phone must have thought that I needed a therapist or something. I was like, I'm, I'm going crazy here. I, you know, I, I, I need a, I need a place to, to go to work, etc. They were like, okay, so let's, let's meet, you know, this week or next week. I can't remember what it was now, but I do remember saying, no, let's meet. Can we meet now? I said, I really need it. And we met and it was just, you know, I got in. So they obviously, they got through to the managing director, they got through to the chairman and they wanted to know more about my business. And I've got, I've got a lot of uh, things in common with the chairman in terms of, you know, manufacturing. He was in the print industry and it just fell into place. They were really curious. So they took me out of the coffee one day, wanted to know more about my business. And they just were the people that I started to go to for advice, you know, how they could help me. They just created this, this ecosystem in Hull. It's, it's just an incredible place. It's an incredible community of people with great ideas. And people don't think of Hull as a technology city, but it, it absolutely is. It's got so many startups here and a great place. The reason why Hull is a great place to have a startup is because it's incredibly cheap to live. And, you know, so if you want to be investing into your business and stuff, it's, you can still go out on a shoestring, you know, you've got a budget, you know, low budget, you can still go out places, you can still have fun. There's great places to, there's meetup groups that go and play board games or go bowling or do whatever to communicate and catch up and meet people and it's just a fantastic place it really is and C4DI is growing it's got a new campus in North Allerton now and it's just yeah it's connected to the Barclays Eagle Labs so you know they've been absolutely fantastic in connecting us to other opportunities to other people it's just yeah I can't sing their praises enough it's it's probably the best decision I ever made to stay in Hull. 
but yeah, that's kind of, it got to that point where it was like, okay, this is a thing. Our offices are now in C4DI in Hull. I guess I'm staying. It just, you know, like everything else, everything just, I'm not going to say it just falls into place. It doesn't. It's incredibly hard to do a startup. There's a, you know, there's that iceberg theory where you see all the success at the top, but you're not seeing the blood, sweat and tears underneath. It's so hard, but it did just fall into place. Like when things are meant to happen, I guess they're just meant to happen. And this is where I now reside as a business. And what about weaknesses? What do you identify as like areas that could, okay, maybe not weaknesses, but areas that could be improved in the ecosystem? So, well, Holly in general, like I just said, it's not a place where people think that there would be technology businesses. And Hull gets a, you know, it's got a bad reputation from many saying that it's rough and it's run down. But we, we were the UK city of culture in 2017, I think it was. And, you know, it's had millions put into it. We've got a growing tech community. It's a great place. There's loads of places to go out. There's loads of places to eat. You're so close to your, you know, you, well, you are in Yorkshire, in the East Riding of Yorkshire, there's so much beauty around here this, you know you're not far from the countryside you're not far from anywhere in England really unless you're going to go all the way down to Devon or all the way up to Scotland but I think in terms of I think weaknesses is its reputation because people just don't know that it's this hidden gem and it's a great place to start a business I think if more people knew about it they would even potentially relocate here because it's so cheap to live you know it's just there's great opportunities here but I think yeah I think that's its only weakness really because we've got a lot more investment coming towards the north now we've had a great increase of investment to the city more than ever before so yeah I think that's it really but I mean there's pros and cons to everything there's strengths and weaknesses you know but I think when you're living in it, you don't really focus on the weaknesses. You just focus on the opportunities and the strengths just to go out and get what you can from what you've got. And don't worry about what isn't there because it'll come if it's going to come. And if it's not, then you evolve and you move on or you stay and you work on those weaknesses with your community. Yeah, there's, I don't know, does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. And I think that visibility and reputation is a bigger problem than expected because you might as, as you're saying i honestly i didn't know that ho is such a is such a good place to build a tech business because i'm never going to find ho in the top destinations when i write where is best to build a startup in england the, it's gonna london is gonna come out of course first and it undeniably the, probably the best place in terms of just opportunities but then the cost comes in uh comes in question when it comes to london then you have obviously manchester birmingham and after that I think this is where it's a bit of a gray area where you have these gems, as I might call them, as you're mentioning, Ho, I think Sheffield is such a place where it's just the reputation is not there where people that want to build a business might be like, why would I go to London when I could go to Ho or when I can go to Sheffield? So yeah, I, I completely I completely understand what you mean. And you mentioned investment for, for Bombix that you've been considering it since, since last year. Does that mean that you haven't been funded yet? And if no or yes, are you planning on, on raising funds and how do you plan to raise them? 
Yes, so the, the, the company was, it's been completely bootstrapped from originally my savings. And then once we got clients on board, it was, you know, just the payments, it funded everyone's uh, the development, people's jobs, etc. And but yeah, we, we are interested in getting investment. And we are in talks with a couple of investors on getting investment. So it's definitely on the horizon. It's definitely going to happen. But it's more about, like I said, it's about like for us it's not just about the investment but it's about the connections and the experience that will come with it the people that we can get better from so having people with great knowledge in other areas I I just always think it's great to you know work with people that know a lot more about something than you do and it just makes for a great company because you then become I don't know you you know, a turbocharged company. I just think, yeah, really focus on knowledge and the areas that you don't know about and fill in those places. And that's what we want out of investment. We don't just want the cash. We want the experience of working with people in areas that we don't really know about and just to kind of grow the company and become better at what we do constantly. Yeah. And are you looking at VCs or government grants or have you been, have you, have you thought about you know, alternatives like Crowdcube, I see more and more businesses really, really make noise with being on, have you heard about Crowdcube? I have not, no, but what we're doing is the people we're in talks with VCs and, you know, we're, we're looking at other things like government grants, Innovate UK, you know, we're looking at all sorts, um, but we are in talks with VCs. Crowdcube is actually very interesting because it's basically a platform which kind of democratizes uh, venture capital where different startups uh, put themselves on there, create profiles, bit bit like you know creating a profile on a social media, and you put what is your startup doing, obviously branding. Uh, you put how does your business generate the generate revenue, your team, uh, your pitch deck and slide deck, and then people can everyone can basically buy shares, such as uh, such as a, such as a VC would or not exactly a VC, but and yeah, it's really interesting. It's more about companies that are really focused on delivering to the mass consumer, because obviously those mass consumers are also going to be the people that's going to finance them. But I would suggest you take a look at it because it's very, it's very interesting concept and it's gaining a lot of popularity among startups in the UK. I think, yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll definitely look at it. But like you say, it's these things are often more B2C yeah. uh, as opposed to B2B. And we're not in the B2C realm yet. We are looking at ways of getting into that. But B2B is our absolute primary focus. And, we, you know, we've worked this VC, one of the VCs that we're talking to at the moment, as I know, on a personal level, some companies that have been funded by these VCs, they seem to look after you, they seem to really care. And it's just, yeah, I think sometimes when things just feel right, you just go with that. But yeah, no, we are, uh, we've had some, you know, great conversations and they're moving forward. And it's just, yeah, I think as well, it's again, it's a more of a trusting your gut and getting a feeling from someone that is not just, obviously it is just about the money because that's why VCs are there. But having that interest and the way that they ask questions and what they're asking, you get a good idea of this to someone is genuinely interested in what you're trying to do. Yeah. Or you are doing, but you're trying to expand on. It is more than that. No, I completely agree with you. And that's why you have venture capitalists and venture capital firms that their offering is so much more than money. You know, not, not even like just board seats, but they I've seen companies that they offer specific advisors based on based on the profile of your company and so much more. It's it's amazing. Here in Sheffield, we have Twinkle Hive. They are an incubator, not a VC, but uh, they still they offer to have one-to-one with their with their founder. 
they offer help from their research teams, from their IT teams. It's amazing what's what's out there in support of startups in England. And so fingers crossed that Bombix is going to get the right amount of investment and from the right people, Lucy. We absolutely will. I'm more than sure we will. Great. Okay, so is it all right if we move to the five questions that I ask all of my guests? Okay, yeah. So the first one is for you to recommend the book that entrepreneurs or future founders need to read. Yeah, you see, I don't know. Like, I, I think when you when you get into your business, you find very little time to read. Uh, well, some people do. Hopefully some people make time for it. I know I should make more time for it. But, you know, I'm, I do worry that the, you know, the books that I'm going to suggest are probably what people have already given. But I'll give it a go. And I'll give you a couple of books that I've uh, kind of put together and thought about. So when I was looking at creating pitch decks, I looked at The Three Minute Rule by Brant uh, Pinvedic, I think that's what his name is. And yeah, just basically I focus on areas. I think sometimes people read books that are so vast in knowledge and information, but I like to read specialist books where at what part of the, I'm going to call it a journey. I don't really like that word, but I'm going to say it, you know, that part of that journey that I'm on, that's what I like to focus on at that time. So going anything beyond that for me, it's just too much information because I've got a business to run. You know, I've got all my everyday life stuff going on. So I like to make sure that the book is focused on what I'm trying to achieve. Also some books like Simon Sinek, Start With Why, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. I love those two people. And then stuff like, you know, Zero to One by Peter Thiel and The Lean Startup by Eric Ries or Rise. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. But yeah, I think some in there are generic for entrepreneurs. But yeah, I do recommend Simon Sinek and Brene Brown. Definitely. There's just the, they're just those feel good people that you, they just inspire you so much. Yeah, no, I agree for, I, I agree for both. And Simon Sinek, I actually... There's another book from him called Leaders Eat Last, which yes. is like, it's my, it's one of my favorite books. Brené Brown, I've actually haven't read anything from her, but I've listened to TED Talks from her. And yes. she is indeed, she is indeed very, it's very cool to be fair. Yeah. Uh, Zero to One is one of my, one of my favorite books and it hasn't been recommended on the podcast yet, by the way. So good shout. Uh, Berlin Startup has been recommended at least by five people, but that doesn't make it less relevant to be fair. No. I mean, everyone that builds a startup in the end of the day has probably read The Lean Startup at some point. And it is kind of a Bible. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it doesn't make it less relevant. It actually makes it more relevant because people are, you know, this book is quite old now and it's still relevant today. But yeah, I actually, I love how Peter Thiel on Zero to One, actually. I love the writing style. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I've started reading from an iPad now, just... I find it better in the evening. I don't have to look around a load of books. So actually I got back into reading through putting it on technology. I don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea, but yeah, The Lean Startup, it is a classic and it is more relevant that people are suggesting that more. It means that you kind of, you should be reading that to understand everything as you're going along, I guess. It gives people a good insight into what they're about to do or what they're doing and maybe the things that they haven't done yet, they can get a little bit of a head start in knowing a little bit about them more. Absolutely. There is a reason the lean methodology is worldwide applied to, to any, any matter of the business world, not even just startups. Absolutely. Now, the second question is about the name, which you, you already explained. So let's move to the third question. Usually the third question, as 
you know, Chief Valley is primarily focused on the Sheffield ecosystem. So it's for people to recommend a place in Sheffield. However, you're based, you're, you're from Ho, you live in Ho. So the question is whether you've been to Sheffield and if yes, how did you find it? And if not, what do you know about the city? So I must have gone to Sheffield years ago as a teenager. So I think you've got a good metal scene, a good rock scene. So I know that much about it. But other than that, recently, I've got some, I know some people from the Advanced, the Advanced Research Manufacturing Centre, the Advanced Manufacturing Research Centre, sorry. So I've been there. I've been on a tour. I absolutely love it. I've just actually spoke to one of the guys that worked there yesterday. We had a catch up. We haven't spoken in a long time time so I know that much about I know you're doing some really great stuff but I don't I, I don't know enough about the tech scene I don't know a lot about it actually but I, I think when everything reopens up I think it's definitely somewhere that I maybe should explore a little bit more yeah fingers crossed that sooner than later you would be able to do that there there are some as in ho you know there are some cool meetups some cool events going around so for sure when or if you're able to check it is definitely a place where to visit. The next question is a bit uh, philosophical. If you had 15 minutes with your 20 year old self, what would you tell her? So, gosh, I don't even know. I don't know if I would tell her anything because I feel like what has made me, me, is that I've gone through these things. I've failed, I've succeeded. I've done everything the way I have and I've got to where I am and I'm incredibly happy where I am so yeah I don't think I'm not sure if I would tell them anything I just let them go with the flow because I know that it's going to lead to where I am today and living with purpose I guess and my last question is for you to tell me one big hairy and audacious goal for Bombix POM uh well gosh well we want it to be in we want it to be, at, I mean, it already is global, but we want it to be even more so global. We just want to really tap into, you know, people's well-being and people doing the job that they love. Our goal is what we're doing. I want it to be a mass marketplace of connection. You know, people connecting, people collaborating, people having everything in one place so that they can concentrate on pure innovation and their goals to succeed and scale and whatever they want to do I think yeah I think it is what we are doing and what we're working on I think it's it is big what we want to do we want to be huge I guess you know and we are a startup we are growing but yeah I think it's just what we want to do we want to go big and we want to we want to improve people's working lives wonderful Lucy thank you so much for your time Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lucy. I like talking with founders with non-business background because there's always a very different approach to entrepreneurship and innovation. That being said, as promised, I will now tell you when the next episode is coming out. The date is March 29th, which is next Monday. March 29th. I will keep the guest and the startup in secret, but make sure to check it out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or through direct MP3 links, which I share on all platforms. Shiv Valley is supported by Sheffield Technology Parks. Their help is much appreciated and help me keep publishing episodes. Thanks to everyone listening and wishing you all a good day.